Welcome back to Season 2 of the Wordsmith Podcast. I'm Josh Bennett, lead pastor here at Awaken Church. I got worship pastor Matthew Grady Calhoun. Hey, hey. Executive pastor Jeremy Shane Suggs. Thank you, I guess. <laughs> and the young kid, Connor, the boy, Hawk. How's it going? The boys are back in town. So here we are, guys, back for Season 2 of the Wordsmith Podcast. So let's just kind of get started today by talking about what's been going on in your life since we wrapped up Season 1. Well, both of my daughters were home for like a couple of months. Uh, they're, they're, the fall semester ended sooner than normal, and then the spring semester started later than normal. So they were actually home for two months straight. So that was actually really good, having them home. Um, I told Jamie after they left, I said, man, I just would love somebody to yell at right now because um, they're, they're not home for me to, you know, say anything to. And I wasn't going to yell at Jamie. So, um, Certainly not. But, it, yeah, it was good having them home. So that's kind of what's preoccupied a lot of our time. You had the COVIDs run through your house too. Yeah. Um, my wife got COVID. She got the Rona and uh, had a few bad days with it. But she's over it and we all quarantined and. Me and Eden haven't gotten it yet. Grace and Jamie have both gotten it and recovered from it. And Eden has actually been in quarantine three different times and never had the corona. She just told her she needs to pick new friends because <laughs> everybody she hangs out with. Hey, she's well, immune, man. I, I reckon say, so. Yeah. Maybe so. Maybe so. Matthew, what's been up with you? I've started intermittent fasting, Ooh. Okay. Um, which has been interesting. So I eat for, I got an eight-hour window to eat, and then the other... 16 hours, I think. Yeah. My math's not very good. The other 16 hours, I don't eat. Um, and it's not really been much of a problem. I have a very regimented diet anyway, so it hasn't thrown me for a loop or anything yet. The very first night we had Woke. Woke's been back. A week ago, actually, now. The very first night Woke was back, they had pizza. And to walk by it repeatedly, and it was really difficult. Because <laughs> you're a big pizza fan. Anyway. I'm a very big pizza fan, and I... <laughs> I literally would walk by, I would be going to the bathroom, and I would just watch the pizza as I walked to the bathroom. Yeah. So that was a strong temptation, but the Lord protected me through it. He granted me perseverance. There you go. Uh, and since then, I have no real issues there. You so. know, I thought the intermittent fasting, I thought it was kind of a, because I had never read much on it, because I thought it was like one size fits all. Everybody, me and Jamie were talking about it the other day, because I'd mentioned you, that you were on this diet. Mm-hmm. She said that different, you have to know your body type so that you know which fasting protocol to adhere to. So it's not just like one size fits all like you would, like I thought it was anyway. It was, you have to kind of know so you know what hours and how long and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And, and supposedly certain people will just fast from certain things. I still don't understand how that works. Like their window, instead of an eight hour, they'll have like a 10 hour. And in that 10 hour, they won't eat certain things or something okay. along those lines. Okay. There's a lot of variation with it or what sure. have you, but I just don't eat anything. <laughs> other so what's than your those. what's your gap? When, when do you eat, I guess? The time of yeah. day from 9 o'clock in the morning till, I guess, 5. Okay. Is when you can eat. Yes, when I can eat. I okay. apologize. I've done it some. Um, back in the fall, I did it and lost about 10 pounds, and I got sick and stopped. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't get sick from that. I just got strep throat, and it was an easy excuse to start eating food. Oh, always. And, um, but, yeah, I had pretty good success. From it. But that's about the time frame that I went with. By the way, you didn't miss anything on the pizza. Yeah. It was um, pepperoni <laughs> pizza from Pizza Hut. And let's be honest, Pizza Hut, their claim to fame to me is the pan meat lovers. Sure. Everything else just falls flat from Pizza Hut. So. Their wings are good. Yeah, they're okay. Here's the thing about pizza, though. 
even bad pizza is still pretty good. Yeah, I agree, man. I, Little Caesars. That's true. It's hard to mess up bad pizza. I very pizza. seldom ever have a bad, like, I'm just like, this pizza's awful, you know? Yeah. Just, hey, we recently ate at the second best pizza place in America, according to TripAdvisor. The place in St. Augustine. What was it called? Your pizza sister reckoned. Pizza Time. Oh, Pizza Time, yeah. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, I don't think I'd say it's the second best pizza. It I've was really had. good. It was wildly expensive for it was wildly expensive. Please keep that in mind. <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, it's a place you're supposed to go in and buy a slice and we bought two larges, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of crazy. Connor, what's been up with you, man? Uh, like Pastor Shane said, we got done like a, the same week as uh, you know Grace and Eden did, um, okay. and we, came, we went back home. I came back down here one weekend, and I hunted with Josh. I'm a big hunter; I like to fish and uh, duck hunt and stuff like that. But yeah, I came down here for a little bit, went back home and stuff like that. I'm part of a college ministry back home. I was doing that. Spent a lot of time with mom and dad. Um, last semester, I didn't really get to go home much. I was just so busy with classes and stuff like that. And so I got to travel some. I went on a uh, little trip to um, California. I flew into Las Vegas and uh, drove a car eight hours to uh, Coors Gold, California. Hmm. Um, and uh, I have a national park pass. So me and my friend Bryce, a family friend I grew up with, we went to hike at Yosemite. We were there for three days, and we did a total of 24 miles of hiking. So it was, it was really good. Um, did that and just like I said, hung, hung out with family and stuff. Now I'm, I'm now I'm back, so it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I got to spend some time in Illinois over the holidays. My wife's from there and did a little hunting. And um, one afternoon, I actually questioned life choices. It was <laughs> negative five. It was a feel like temperature of negative five, and I was up in a tree. I had a heater, and it kept blowing out. The wind buddy kept heater. blowing. The pilot light. Yeah, it was one of those little buddy heaters. And um, anytime I would take my hands out of my hoodie. They would literally become numb within about 30 or 40 seconds. So it was kind of one of those moments where I thought, what am I doing here? But um, anyway, we got to see snow on Christmas Day. That was pretty exciting. It's, I have never seen snow on Christmas Day in really? my life. It snowed at our house. Just a little flurry. Never in so. my life. Yeah. Has we, it snowed on Christmas Day? We, we had enough on the ground to, the kids came out and were like, oh, there's snow. And Harper goes, I want to build a snowman. <laughs> like, it was some frozen. I was like, you're going to need more snow. <laughs> So we, yeah, man, I listen. Your life is all the better for it. Even in Alabama, you never seen snow up there. He said he's never. Yeah, no, oh, it's on never Christmas. snowed on oh, Christmas really? Day. Really? Yeah. Now there had I think one year in Alabama there was there was snow a few days before Christmas, but it was mostly gone by the Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, yeah. it's never. I've never had like a white Christmas. You know. Yeah. By the time this podcast comes out, this will be history. But, you know, we've got some forecasts for the next couple of weeks. Like, there's a European model that's actually showing heavy snow for South Georgia. Yeah, um, somewhere around the 12th or something, but I doubt it's going to happen. Yeah, the guy but, said that ain't going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I doubt it. But it has been pretty cold. If you're so. getting bit by mosquitoes in January, and then a week later there's snow on the ground, oh, my goodness. Like, this place is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. Well, let's dive in. This season, we're going to be breaking down the book of First Peter, the letter of First Peter. And so we're excited to be taking that turn. We spent a lot of time discussing and praying about and kind of deciding what book we wanted to go to. And uh, this is the one that we ended up settling back on. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll begin to dive in. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
So let's just start off here. What do you know coming into this study about the letter of First Peter? Obviously, it was written for people who were, you know, having se- severe persecution. Yeah. I mean, we mm-hmm. see that right off the bat. Yeah. So. And, and really what I'm getting at here, what, what's your preconceived ideas coming into First Peter? Not having really studied about it. About the man dug, or the book? About the book in general. Like, what okay. do you know about it? Uh, and we can kind of dive that into what's your history with the book. Have you ever preached through it, done an extensive study, those kinds of things? I actually preached through First Peter while I was in the Independent and Sovereign Nation of Texas. And First Peter, I, is, I'm a big fan of this book, so I was kind of excited that this is the one we uh, decided to lean on. Uh, it's probably, it's definitely my favorite non-Pauline and non-Gospel book in the New Testament. Uh, I love Hebrews, but Hebrews is just so hard. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in Hebrews, but man, it's just so hard to pull it out. Whereas First Peter, it, it's actually pretty easy read for the most part. There's uh, there's a couple passages that are really interesting, and we'll get into those more in the future weeks. But yeah, that's yeah. where I've, I've I've preached out of First Peter. I've never preached through it like Matt, but there are some, um, and we'll get into it. It'll be later in the season, but there are some texts or some passages that are that are kind of hard after you translate and you're talking about application and, and biblical interpretation so that you can apply it to your life, you know, that sort of thing. Um, there's some really difficult ones in there. And I will say in in church circles, they some of them could be considered controversial, you know, as far as like mm-hmm. theological interpretation sure. goes, mm-hmm. uh, which I hope we get into uh, a little bit. But that's, and to be honest, like most of the time, pastors when they preach on those particular passages they either skirt across the top and just kind of go on a narrative superficial level or they just skip them all together because they're just really hard i mean you know to to go ahead and tell us what some of the passages you're talking about Uh, i mean you don't uh, have to go in any depth or detail right now it's first peter chapter three there's there's sure yeah that's the first one that pops in your mind yeah yeah um They, you know, talk about, you know, when Jesus, was it talking about Noah preaching to the the captives or is it Jesus preaching after the resurrection? I mean, Mm, you know, what exactly what is meant by that? And you you have to get through the interpretation before you can get to the application, because, you know, if you don't interpret it right, you just you can apply anything, you know. So um, it's some of those um, later and most of them are in chapter Three. You know, First Peter is one of those books that if you ask 100 people to name a book out of the Bible or even got more specific and said a book out of the New Testament, you're probably going to get nobody saying First Peter. Uh, if you're doing like a family feud survey, name a book, you know, maybe First Peter gets one vote or something. But it's kind of quietly one of the most quoted books in the New Testament. So you, you think about those verses where it talks about the devil being a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's out of First Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of quotation, or a lot of, um, a lot of times it's quoted in reference to husbands and wives and pastors and leadership in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of quotations out of the first part of First Peter where it talks about us being bought with the spotless and blameless blood of the mm-hmm. Lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's one of those. It just it probably gets quoted in a lot more messages than it actually gets preached out of. Um, but I, I think it's like. Pastor Matt says we have one of those little golden books. I mean, it's yeah. it's got so much good content in it. It is very simplistic, and I mean, there's the, the verses you have to deal through, but it's spoken in such a way, which is not surprising because Peter was that type of man. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert there a little bit. But uh, my history, when I was in Bible college, we had a class called expository preaching, which if you're not familiar with that, expository preaching means you work through the text, allow the text to say 
what the text says and not just trying to bring, not proof texting, which would mean using a text to prove your point. You're just allowing the, the text to speak. So anyway, we had expository preaching class and our class for the semester had to preach through the book of First Peter. So everybody was given a segment out of First Peter and um, preached through it. So that, that was very interesting. Spent a lot of time personally in First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 22 or so. Connor, you had any history with the book? Uh, yeah, this is my old Bible I have with me today. Um, and I've gone through First Peter. Um, and like Pastor Shane said in uh, chapter 3, I kind of hit a roadblock. And I was just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> what does it say? <laughs> and so I like to underline a lot and, you know, look it up what the words mean and stuff. And uh, But, yeah, I, I've, uh, I like it a lot. Um, I like Peter a lot in the New Testament. I mean, when he was a disciple of Jesus, you know. And, and I was going to mention uh, Martin Luther the famous German reformer, he talked about First Peter, and he said, if you had nothing but First Peter, like you were in some kind of desert island situation, all you had was First Peter, you'd be pretty in good shape. Yeah, there, yeah. Uh, you really do have the gospel and its implications of what it means to live in light of what Christ has done for us, is doing, will do. There's so much in First Peter, even though it is, for the most part, a fairly simple book. There's a lot of uh, value and a lot of worth found in just these couple of pages. Absolutely. So we've kind of hinted at this and, and more than hinted, just flat out said, but let's, let's at least acknowledge it. Who wrote the letter of 1 Peter? I'm going to go out on a limb, and I will say it was Peter the Apostle. I have read before, maybe, I don't, maybe you guys have heard this as well, but Peter was probably the most forged apostle during his day. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of writings that were attributed to Peter that he never wrote, but... First Peter was wholeheartedly by the early church um, accepted as yeah. written by the apostle Peter. Yeah. Um, I mean, there there was literally no argumentation on that um, topic. It's only latter scholars, modern day scholars that would look at the textual criticism. You know how it was written in a, a more educated Greek, like he, in you know that sort of thing. But I think most people accept that it was Peter, the apostle, the one we know, you know, as Peter. Yeah, it, it, certainly in scholarly circles, it's almost unanimously understood to be Peter. Even the ones who would doubt it being Peter would say it's someone else writing with Peter's authority. So there's there's yeah. virtually nobody who says so, yeah. yeah virtually no one's saying that Peter had nothing to do with it. yeah and yeah. and that's what I was reading um, Dr. Piccarelli this morning and he said look for any claim that Peter didn't write this book it, it's pretty much shot down by what you said the early church held Peter in such high regard that they wouldn't have accepted anything that sure. appeared to be from Peter if it wasn't right like they he said maybe somebody else they might have let a pseudonym slide or something but there's no way they would have done that with Peter. And tell you what, let's take a break and we'll come back with our deep dive on Peter and his relationship with Jesus. deep dive and today we're going to be deep diving into the relationship of Peter and Jesus because it's really hard to talk about who Peter was without talking about his relationship with Jesus and his role in the Gospels. So what do we know about Peter and specifically in reference to his relationship with Jesus? 
so we first see that, you know, Simon Peter met um, Jesus through his brother Andrew, who had followed Jesus after hearing um, John the Baptist proclaim that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Um, and we see that in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 36. And we see that, you know, he, he meets him. Um, and uh, I think, I don't know, I'm going to throw this in here. But his name is Cephas. I, that's yes, correct, yeah. Cephas. And it actually is in uh, Aramaic. 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 I'm actually really good in literature. Um, <laughs> but just not saying that word. Um, and, or Peter, which is in Greek, and it means rock. And I, I just think that's just really cool. So Yeah, whenever you read about Peter um, and, and, and all the apostles, really, you know, it looks like, it, you know, they, he said, come follow me. And they just jumped right on the boat and just started following him without any hesitation. Without Here's the thing we have to understand. They, even though they may not have had a lot of personal interaction with you, they knew who Jesus was. They had been mm-hmm. around him. They had heard of him. It's not like they were, he was a total stranger to him. And then he said, hey, come follow me. And they just said, okay, I'm going to follow you. Now, I don't want to minimize that it was a leap of faith for them to follow sure, him 100%. because it, it was. But don't don't read into the text that he was a perfect stranger to them. They had no clue he was. And it was just because they, they knew him. But I think Peter was the leader of the apostles. 100%. No, there's no doubt. I mean, there's, uh, I, I jotted down a couple of notes about uh, why I think that he is the leader of the apostles. One is because more than anybody else, he was singled out for special teaching from time to time from Jesus himself. And so you have that. I mean, not that anybody else wasn't, but he uh, no doubt was more than anybody else. Whenever it mentions all the apostles, Peter's always mentioned first yeah um, that's something i didn't realize until today but it's true yeah. yeah he was uh he was generally the spokesman for the apostles whenever they wanted somebody to speak up i don't know if they could just they could urge him and he was just the easiest to urge to speak up or if he was just uh one of those guys who you know spoke first and asked questions later or thought about it later you know mm-hmm. i don't know maybe that was a little bit of his personality um but also in in all of the New Testament, other than Jesus, we know more about Peter than we do anybody else, pretty much. I mean, we know a lot about Paul, but I'm talking about the, the first 12 uh, yeah. apostles. Yeah, John would be, you know, second, but it's yeah. a distant second, really. Yeah. This story of where they it was uh, John, Peter, and James that went on top of the mountain. The transfiguration. Yes. And it was Peter that went up there too. So yeah, I, yeah. that just shows you right there that yeah, he's and he's he's the one that spoke out. I mean, yeah, let's build a temple. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah Peter, he, you kind of get the sense in what you're talking about that whenever Jesus said something that was either hard to understand or hard to take, all the disciples kind of looked at Peter, like, "Hey, say something." <laughs> you know, for example, you're preaching this past Sunday about washing the disciples' feet. Everybody mm-hmm. else is silent, but Peter goes, no, whoa, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's always Jesus. I mean, always Peter speaks up. And I also believe there, there's no, uh, it's no coincidence that Jesus first appeared to Peter after the resurrection. That there's a lot of significance there, too, I believe. So, and anyway, it, of the apostles. Sure. And yeah, it, obviously. it obviously had a lot of leadership qualities, <clears throat> good, good and bad. You know, yeah. every, every good leader has bad qualities, too. Sure. And yeah. I think we see that in in the life and the style, the leadership style, I guess, of, uh, of Peter. How old was he when he, when he first met Jesus? No, we don't know anybody's age directly. You're going to see some kind of wide guesses. Almost all of them certainly were young men. Almost yeah. none of them would have been older. 
or at least the majority of them certainly would have been younger men. So it could be late teens. It could be early, mid-20s is what yeah, a lot of scholars seem to suggest. But again, there's just no way for us to know yeah. for certain. They just, they just try to narrow it down uh, culturally, you know, uh-huh. what, like, they, they were fishermen. They fished under their, someone fished under their father's mm-hmm. uh, leadership. So, you know, that kind of gives you some indication of, of those sort of things. But there's no... It's reasonable to believe they would have been in the age range of Jesus. I just always, always thought that because, you know, you watch Passion of the Christ, Peter's old, and then you watch these shows on TV, he's young, so I'm like, how old was this guy? Sure, sure. Well, there's yeah. a reason you got right, because <laughs> nobody really knows. Yeah, yeah well, sometimes with, with aging someone, Christian pop culture mm-hmm. has a lot to do with those sort of things because, like, you know, uh, I, I always use this to kind of illustrate a point is, like, Daniel in the lion's den. You know, when you're brought up in children's church and Sunday school, Daniel's always like a young boy mm-hmm. when he's in the lines then. Daniel was probably in his 60s or 70s yeah. whenever he was in the lines then because, I mean, he had already lived through three different kings. So uh, so I think sometimes when you see people portrayed in movies, or I think that's co- sort of like a Christian pop culture that like we we need him to be a certain age. We need this mm-hmm. character because he's got to resonate a certain way with you know, the yeah. audience, that sort yeah. of thing. Well, and even when you hear the verses in First Timothy, or First Timothy or Second Timothy, where he says, let no one despise you because of your youth, people automatically put Timothy as like a yeah. 16-year-old boy, yeah. when in reality yeah. he was mid-30s most likely. Right. Mm-hmm. right. You know, so mm. it's all kind of relative there. One of the things about Peter, and especially his relationship with Jesus and the, the Gospels, is some of the most intimate moments throughout the Gospels are between Jesus and Peter. You think mm-hmm. about washing the feet. You know, that, mm-hmm. that to me was an intimate moment but even more so when jesus restores peter mm-hmm. you know what an awkward moment that must have been you know peter sure. has denied jesus they're all standing around the fire and i'm sure peter's just kind of looking down at his feet kicking the dirt you mm-hmm. know and and jesus begins to address him and restores him and it's just such an intimate moment peter do you love me you know that i love you you can just tell this relationship between peter and jesus was very intimate very sincere when he writes this letter He's carrying that relationship and that knowledge of who Jesus was with him. So I think that's something to keep in the back of our minds. Yeah, whenever I read that, that the the narrative that you were just referencing, I I don't and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I man, I I feel like there was a lot of tears shed in in those moments from uh Peter as he was in a sense repenting and he mm-hmm. definitely had a lot of remorse and sure. those sort of things. I can't help but think that he he wept bitterly during that time just because Peter did seem to kind of wear his emotions on his sleeve. He was so emotionally he was... expressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I... Men back then were, generally speaking, much more emotionally expressive than we are nowadays. Yeah. So almost certainly. Well, I don't think it's saying know, too far nowadays, to say he probably teared. Even nowadays, other cultures are, are much more sure. emotionally expressive than mm-hmm. we are in the United States. I do know one thing about Peter. He was not quite, quite as fast as John. That's true. That he is did true. did not run quite as fast And a lot of Renaissance John. paintings, he's always presented as a kind of bigger guy because yeah. of that. Oh, really? They just assumed he was fatter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love it. I, I've seen little skits about that where it's like, seriously, John, you had to put that in the book? Because you know, John wrote the book, and he's like, right, yeah. the other disciple beat Peter. Like, you got to brag right here. Yeah. You know? But John it didn't pull punches. Moments. No. So, but I love how he did it. He kind of did it in a faux humility type mm-hmm. way where it's like, sure. he's not, hey, I beat Peter. It's like the other disciple. Yeah. By the way, that was me. Beat <laughs> Peter. So ultimately, Jesus and Peter had a very close relationship and dynamic. 
that was kind of unique from the other disciples. And that's going to lean into our study of First Peter and who Peter was and what he shares. So that's our deep dive into the relationship of Peter and Jesus. We'll be right back to talk about who the letter was written to. Let's dive in now to who Peter wrote the letter to. And um, this is, I'll kind of start with this and then we'll go from there. This is what is referenced as a general epistle. And the reason why, because a lot of the Paulinian epistles were written to specific churches. Mm -hmm. And so what makes an epistle a general epistle is when it's written to a broader audience. Circulated. Yeah, more circulated. Um, It wasn't just written to a specific church. But in saying that, this was still a a more specific target than just written to all Christians. So who did Peter write this to? And and we can really dive into it here in the text. Well, it says who's right to in the churches living as exiles dispersed abroad. And and then he lists all the cities. And I I did a study one time on dispersed because, you know, there's a. Um, there was a group of Jews that was called the dispersion, and but that's not who he's talking about here necessarily because this is an ambiguous term mm-hmm. um, that he uses here. So he's talking, and about, there's a lot of Gentiles in in the people. Right, recipients he's talking of this, about yeah. Jews and Gentiles mm-hmm. that he's right mm-hmm. to, and there's a, and I want to call it legend because there's not enough evidence for this to be a fact, but there's at least enough evidence where it's like, man, well, this is probably what happened, but, but because. Uh, Nero, which was, you know, he was the Roman emperor at the time, and Nero burned Rome. Uh, they think that he, what he wanted to do was he wanted to build, he wanted to be go down in history as the building emperor. Like he was going to build Rome even bigger. And so what he thought he could do, uh, at least there's this is where the legend part is, is he was going to burn down part of Rome so he can build it back bigger and better. And when he started to burn it got out of hand and basically Rome burned. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens in the wake of that is a lot of Romans fell. And this, this part is, is at least part of history is that a lot of Rome Romans felt like when they when the city burned, their culture went with it and, and their way of life went with it. And, and they were very, uh, there was a lot of animosity. There was a lot of anger with that and so what he did is he said he needed a scapegoat and so he started a rumor and put it out in circulation that it was the christians who started it and so in the wake of that you see a lot of christian persecution right after rome burned so i mean it at least in the timeline it does fit but uh, some of that is just what, what i would call legend and not necessarily fact sure but the truth is, I mean, he, he was writing to Christians who were being persecuted. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they were being persecuted for this reason, which this reason makes as much sense as any other reason, mm-hmm. um, they were definitely going through a lot. There was a lot of animosity towards Christians during this time. Mm-hmm. There was a lot yeah. of persecution towards them. So that's that's who he was writing to uh, yeah. 
at this time. And, and they were. They were Jews and Gentiles dispersed. And uh, Dr. Pickerley made this point, and I think it's true. He said it's almost this idea that they were dispersed like seeds that were sown mm-hmm. to share the gospel mm-hmm. um, throughout the different areas. And so we have that mindset as well. And I think Peter would have been thinking along those lines. They were heavily persecuted um, from five different regions mentioned here. Yeah. Mm. We should let Connor try to pronounce all those for us. Let me try. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, Galatia. Yeah. Okay. Cappadocia, Asia. Close enough. Yeah. And Bithynia. Yeah. And I can't say it. Uh, uh, I can't say it. Pontus. Pontus. That's probably the easiest one to say other than Asia. Bithynia, but what is it? Bithynia. 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 Okay, yeah. Yeah. I have really trouble. Anybody listening out there that hears it, I have trouble. Yeah, we're just teasing. (laughs) But um, it's always hard to pronounce that stuff because you always want to put whatever culture you're from. You want to put the emphasis that would be in your culture on that. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily where they might have put the emphasis or the asterisk. Dr. Reed always told us in college, just however you say it, say it confidently. Mm -hmm. Because 90% of the people in the room have no clue either. But now Asia, now Asia. Asia. (laughs) And let me say, if you're talking about like sparrows and you say sparrows, yeah, everybody's going to know that. (laughs) More common phrase, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, here we are, these Christians that were dispersed. um, And he mentioned some specific things here. He says, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And a lot of translations use the word elect based on the foreknowledge of God. These are believers who have been chosen by God based on his foreknowledge. We won't dive into all the theological implications of that. But through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is a formal letter introduction, but Peter does an eloquent job there of describing believers who... um, have all these characteristics, you know, the election through the foreknowledge, working of the Spirit, mm. the call to obedience, the covering of the blood of Jesus. Man, there's a lot of great theological depth just in that introduction. Yeah, you could do a sermon just from, I was going to say verse 1 and 2, really you could do a mm-hmm. sermon from each of those, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you could just about do yeah. a series mm-hmm. on verse 2 where you just dealt with each one of those topics or labels, I guess, that he puts on believers, such a great introduction there well let me ask you this what is the purpose or what are the themes of the letter that kind of become recurring as we kind of dive in here Uh, i was reading a commentary by karen jobes um, and i think that's how you pronounce her name uh, j-o-b-e-s and i think she sums it up if you wanted to bullet down to one kind of quick sentence it's this jesus suffered you likewise also have to suffer That'll be weaved throughout all these chapters. Uh, they that will come back up again, or what have you. And it's not. This isn't doom. We hear that, and we always think of bad things. But these people are already actively being persecuted. Mm. So the reminder that Jesus suffered for them was comforting, and the fact that there was a purpose in the midst of their suffering was also comforting to them. Yeah, MacArthur pretty much uh, sums it up that same way. It's, it's Peter reminds people to look to Jesus. In, in the midst of suffering as as our bottle in dealing with it could be on, on one end just animosity towards you like an a, animosity more of like an attitude not necessarily actions but but on the other end like actually physically harming you going through persecution so it it peter deals with the whole spectrum of of what they were uh dealing with and mm. like like matt said it's not for them it wasn't a hypothetical like hey 
um, hey, if we start going through persecution, this is how you ought to deal with mm-hmm. it or animosity or whatever it may be. Um, he's saying, since you're going through this, this, we look to Christ. And, and I would say even for our listeners, that even though if we were, and I think it's a bad use of the word, if we were to say in America that Christians are persecuted to mm-hmm. some degree, at the best it would be very mild. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. persecution towards Christians in our country is is mild at best. And so I think we would say, you know, um, as we look to persecution or or whatever form we want to, to call that, that uh, Christ is always the example. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's what we can draw from uh, what Peter was, even though the, the their experience in ours is different, the same... The same thought prevails. Look to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I also think there's a theme. It comes up in a couple of places, this idea of what does it mean to be a citizen of God's kingdom as you're also a citizen of man's kingdom, so yeah. to speak. I was about to say that, to me, if I were to re-summarize the book or give it a new title, it would be an instruction manual, how believers live in a world they don't belong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah, that is good, something yeah. that comes yeah. up very, very repetitively sojourners through this world mm-hmm. um, he talks about how to set our minds on the, the life that's to come not becoming too comfortable in here how are our relationships with our spouses and with churches and sure. different things different because we are believers it really does become that guide to how do I live in a culture that I don't belong in yeah mm-hmm. uh, MacArthur also uh, as I was trying to kind of glance over some of his notes before before we came in here into the studio. But some things that I thought he brought up that we'll get to uh, later are some, I think, pretty practical discussions that we'll get to. One is dealing with marriage, like when one spouse is a Christian and one spouse is not a Christian. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you deal with that? Because that's a very complex, that could be a very tense, uh, very emotional uh, mm-hmm. experience for some people so uh, we'll we'll get to that at some point but also one I thought was pretty relevant was uh, what should be the Christian's attitude towards secular government and civil disobedience he actually touches on that a little bit and these are just like practical topics that he deals with in the overarching um, dealing with persecution and animosity topic so what are you most looking forward to to this study of First Peter I think understanding that you know, during this time, Peter, you know, suffered through persecution. And like Pastor Shane just said, you know, we don't really go through that here in America. Um, and understanding that there's other cultures in the world that that who do follow Jesus, you know, they, they go through persecution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and understanding and reading this today and sitting here in this room, knowing the fact that we don't really suffer that, and I think just really, you know, digging into that and just realizing that, there will be a day when we know we'll be, we'll, we will be persecuted for our faith, you know, and not, I guess, not preparing myself, but more of as a, uh, you know, how can we, how can we uh, go, go forward with it when it comes. I'm looking forward to the practicality of it, the, the things that you were just talking about, just yeah. dealing with these passages that are just so practical, so applicable. And I'm also looking forward to, there are large chunks of First Peter that I have studied in depth. But there's a lot of gaps of stuff I haven't studied in depth, so I'm kind of excited and intrigued to dive into some of those. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to getting some of these more uh, difficult passages to kind of interpret and and apply. Because I, I think many times, and and I think one of the things I've heard from some of our listeners that, that they enjoy about our podcast is, like, even though we know 
in the book, he's talking about, hey, look to Christ uh, through suffering and persecution. But there's so many little nuances. What does that actually mean? Like we could talk, we could say a sentence like, God is sovereign. But there's so there's so many other areas of our life where where that statement lives at. Like, what does that mean in this area and that mm-hmm. area and this situation and that situation? Because because it it it's not just a, a topic that sits at the top. It's one that permeates through every other area of our life. So whenever we talk about, and I think we'll get into this kind of topic pretty soon, is looking to Jesus as our living hope, which is a true statement, and it's a a glorious statement, but it permeates in other areas of our life. And I want to see, as we talk about it, what, what does that mean for my marriage? What does that mean in in our culture, in our society, in our government? You know, so that's that's kind of what I want to uh, try to dive into. What what are some of these big statements that we sometimes don't flesh out? What do they actually mean in our lives? Because they're true, but how are they true? Yeah, and I I think I'm looking forward to just kind of focusing on the idea. All right, if Christians are sojourners and exiles in this world, what does that mean for me? Because I think I'm in the bad habit, and and I think most of my brothers and sisters of Christ here in America are the same way. I tend to think, how can I make my life easier here? How can I make this world more of a home? Instead of, how am I supposed to live keeping in mind this is not, in fact, my home? This isn't, in fact, like one of the greatest siren songs of the world today is the song of comfort to make things easier, not to bring on difficulties, not to endure, as he'll talk about in chapter 3, undeserved suffering. I want nothing to do with undeserved suffering. I don't want anything to do with suffering in general, let alone undeserved suffering. No. So I I think it's good and it's healthy to kind of think about and meditate on that for a little bit. What does it mean to be an exile and a sojourner in this world? I think we got a lot to look forward to here. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about diving in. And I hope you are excited as the listener to hear what God has to say to you through this extremely practical book. No matter how you listen to The Wordsmith, whether it's on the Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Overcast, we want to encourage you to like, subscribe, share, help us get the word out. Uh, we want to help you grow in your faith every week by diving into the Word of God. God bless you guys.